and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What was the one thing Jesus prayed for believers before his death? That they would be one, so that the world would know God sent him, and that they were loved, just as the Father loved the Son. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Authentic Life, with the first part of this message entitled, Authentic Love, which covers 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and let's ask God to meet us during this time of teaching. Father, we do invite you to do just that. That you would meet us in the deepest part of our soul and that you would feed our soul so that we might be nourished, translating into a manner of life that's based on truth and that we might even enjoy the, the freedom that you say comes as truth sets us free. And so, Father, we just are wanting to say to you, if we're seekers here, we're true believers, we're just saying we kind of want to hear what you would say about this most important topic of love. Grant it now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For you that are new, uh, welcome to a series that we're in called The Authentic Life. It's the uh, a study, really, of the book of 1 Corinthians. It's the, uh, not every passage, but the key passages that we think very, very important for us right now in the life of our church. So we're hitting on a lot of big and important subject matter through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 13, so if you have your Bibles, uh, please be turning there. As you do that, I'm going to give you a, a little uh, pre-message diagnostic to take, okay? I want you to work with me on this one, all right? Don't, I, don't, I don't want to. Just, you can do this. It's all confidential. It's all in your brain. You just answer to yourself these four evaluations of the life of love that you exhibit. So here's the first one. On a scale of zero to ten, how would you rate your love for God? Now, this is going to be confidential. I'm going to use it next week, so I hope you'll hang on to your answers. Try to remember what you kind of came up with here. But how would you rate your love for God? Zero, the lowest, no love for God to 10, absolutely in, in love with God. All right? Number two question, if you're married, this will apply to you. How about your spouse? How much do you love your spouse? And by the way, spouses, you're not to ask your spouse what they put. <laughs> It's just total confidential. There's no, and if they say, you got to tell me, you say, no. Randy said, I don't have to, all right? So don't, don't, don't do that, all right? But just see where you would say you are in your love relationship with your spouse. Number three, take the person that maybe you would consider your least desirable person in your life right now. Uh, maybe you'd put them in the category of an enemy, but I'll just use the word enemy for whatever that person may be. How are you loving your enemy right now? Somebody you have a very, very, very difficult challenge being with. How are you loving them? Zero to 10. And then here's the fourth one. The fourth one is, how are you loving yourself? And by that, I mean in the right sense. So we should love, love others even as we love ourselves, meaning that we should love ourselves well. How are we loving other people? Uh, I mean, how are we loving ourselves? Not them, but how do we love ourselves in a healthy way? God's designed us, wired us. Some of us don't like who we are. Some of us maybe are being able to love in the way we should. But 
zero to 10, and then next week we're gonna come back. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a prediction, and my prediction is that next week, after you've heard the teaching this week and next on love, many of you are gonna find that how you evaluated your love for God will be much higher than you actually noted today. We'll see if that is the case. I will not ask you to raise your hand if it is the case, but I bet you're gonna find a lot of people here saying, oh, maybe I love God more than I even thought I did. So we'll see when we come to that, all right? Now, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you're coming here today and you have a, a label that you might place on yourself, maybe you'd say you're a, you're a, a brand new Christian, maybe you'd say I'm an excited longtime Christian, uh, struggling Christian. Maybe you say you're an atheist or you're an agnostic, you're a humanist, you're a secularist, uh, you're a moralist. It, it just doesn't matter what tag that you put on yourself. I will guarantee you, regardless, everybody here will have to agree the most precious commodity is love. We all know how important love is to us. In fact, psychiatrists, psychologists have been in agreement for years that the two great needs of man, to love and to be loved. That just makes us who we are. Love, all important. You go to movies, to marketing, you will find that it is love that becomes the hook. Everybody wants to throw in love to whatever they're doing because love sells well. Boy, you get some good love story, oh boy. Bring love into a commercial and things sell better, apparently, or they wouldn't be doing it. Very important. In fact, our text, that we will end with next week in 1 Corinthians 13 literally says this, faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. Now, can you imagine how important is faith? Is not faith all important? Isn't it, isn't it the thing that counts? Well, apparently not as important as love is. How about hope? When you have no hope, you just want to die. How important is hope? Wow, really important. Well, not as important as love. The greatest of these is love. So you can go to the secular world. You can go to the, the Bible, you know, thinking world. It's going to be an agreement. Love reigns supreme. Now, we can disagree on the definition of love, and we will. There'll be different understandings. The world will have one view. The Christian church is going to have another. And we can disagree on the definition but we will not be able to disagree on the value. Now, there's a reason that the value is viewed so high. It's because regardless of how you define love, it's still something desirable. So there is, as the Greeks came along, the Greeks wanted to, wanted to give a language that would be so precise that there would be no debate. What does that word really mean? And so in our English language, we'll have many words where we have one word in the, the Greek language, uh, the Koine Greek would have two or three or maybe even four. And so they would be very, very careful to know exactly what they meant. Well, the Greeks came up with primarily two words. And these were the two most noted words to refer to love. One, many of you know the word eros. We get the word erotic from it. There's eros love. It's a type of love that's sensual. It's the same type of love that, that an animal would have, a human has, and it's, it's where things get flowing inside and you, boy, you, you want and you go after. It's a type of love. Then there is secondly what's called phileo love, and many of you know that word. It's brotherly kindness as it's known. 
It's where someone cares for somebody else, just as a friend and so forth. It's very appropriate. Everybody believes in. It's, it's all good. Here's the interesting thing about both types of love. And this is what's known to the world at this time as the Bible is now being written. It is a conditional love. A conditional love will always be unpredictable. That's why somebody can be in love today. Something happens, I'm out of love tomorrow. It's the basis of which my father, after divorcing at 25 years, my mother says, I loved her very much for many years. But then, I don't know, it left. And, I, you know, it's, it was gone. Therefore, well, that, that's, it's conditional, right? Well, Jesus comes along, and now he's talking a whole different category of love. Many of you know the word agape. It's agape love is an, un, is an unconditional love, and therefore it's actually very predictable because this kind of love really doesn't have anything to do with what the other person does or don't do. It's not whether do they, do they offer you something that attracts you to them. You don't need that now. This is a love that starts within us and it's offered to others, regardless of whether lovable or unlovable. It's not conditional. Therefore, it is predictable. Either I choose to or I don't choose to do this kind of love. This is what we're going to be exploring over these two weeks. Cannot be many topics more important than that. Now, as we as we do this, you'll see in your outline, God's thoughts on authentic love. That's where we're going to begin this week and next week. I'm going to give you God's thoughts through the first two-thirds of the text. Next week, we'll pick up the last third of the text. At the end of both of these messages, I'm going to be talking about three applications of sorts. They're really contrasting authentic and inauthentic love. And you'll see the difference between the two. I'll do one of those three this week, and then I'll go to the last two next week. And that'll put together in a package these, these two weeks. Now, you got to know the background to the text before I read it. The background of chapter 13 on love is chapter 12 on spiritual gifts. Now, you need to know this. Spiritual gifts refer to a God-given ability placed in every Christian, most agree, at spiritual birth, where the Christian is enabled in such a way through this giftedness to in some way enhance the kingdom of God in some form or fashion. That's what a spiritual gift is. Now, gifts were put in different categories. There are four places in the Scriptures in the New Testament that talk about different gifts, and you put all that together, and basically they're divided into speaking gifts, maybe the gift of teaching, maybe the gift of exhortation. There was a second type of gift that were serving gifts. Maybe it's the gift of, of mercy. Uh, maybe it's, the, maybe it's a, a gift of, of, um, of serving uh, itself, the gift of serving. Uh, maybe it's administration, all different ways that you can serve. But then there were these other gifts that were called sign gifts. And this is, comes into play to understand the background here. The sign gifts were gifts that were used of God uh, to signify uh, mainly to the, to the non-believing community uh, the power of God. And we'll get into the permanence of gifts next week, so I'm not going to really walk through much of that even then, but, 
but now very, very little, but to say this, these are gifts that may be tongues. You might've heard of tongues. You might've been involved. You may have the gift of tongues, but it's, it's speaking a language, a God-given language that you really never learned. God just gave it to you. There's a gift of, of tongues. Now there's going to be debate through the next week's scripture of do those, are they still the same exact as it is, was then? Has it changed to this, that, and the other? We'll look a little bit at that. But gift of tongues, for instance, that comes into play in this background to chapter 13. There were, there were the gifts of oratory in there, which became very important. The Corinthian church loved that. And so whether it be a sign gift where there were miracles and, and, and messages that people were receiving from God that seemed to could not be known outside God giving it to them and then they speak it and, and, and wiles people, all of that was in play. And now it was starting to be used in the services of church and in doing so, people would stand up and, and literally expound on their tongue and speaking something or it may be they get up and give a prophecy about what God has said to them and all of this was taking place and it's in an environment of the Greek people who just adored oratory skill. I mean, that was the, the great orator would be the, for us, the movie star, the great athlete, the person that we, I mean, this became the big, big deal. And so with many of these people, what they were doing were just, they were bathing in the beauty of their abilities to use these gifts. And there was this attitude creeping out. Let me tell you, I have spoken eloquently and not only have I spoken eloquently, I have spoken from God. And oh, by the way, you need to do it too. If you don't do it, then probably you're missing something that God would really want you to have. And it was causing division and conflict and all this stuff was happening in the church. So the apostle Paul comes along and he says, okay, let's, let's deal with that. And instead of just hammering on the issue of gifts, he says, I want to talk about love. That's the context that he's coming right out of chapter 12. Now, before I, again, read the text, there's so many things you need to understand. There is a difference between the gifts of the Spirit that we've just described and the fruit of the Spirit. Both come from the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is described in Galatians 5, and 23. Many of you know it began saying this, the fruit of the Spirit is, and the first word is love. It's the word, the number one word, love. Now that's a fruit that God works through us. These are the gifts of the Spirit. And so he is going to hold up the fruit of love against the gifts of the Spirit. And now this is basically what he's going to say, love reigns supreme. By the way, did you know this? Did you know that you can have the gifts of the Spirit as a Christian and not have the fruit of the Spirit of love? And gifts can play out. Now, this will stretch you a little further. Did you know it's possible to be a non-Christian and have gifts in such a way that you're doing the very same things that the Christian community is doing and you're not even a Christian? Hey, where do you say that? Well, I know this, does it not say in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking said, many who come to me on that day, day of judgment, and say, Lord, Lord, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will come to me on that day and say, but Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name? There's a gift. Did we not cast out demons? There's some pretty amazing power. Did we not perform many miracles? There's a gift, the gift of miracles. And he says, I never knew you. So obviously he's going to say, well, don't get too enamored with the gift stuff. Really, it's this love stuff that's so very, very important. So imagine, imagine that someone enters into your life experience, maybe a pastor of a church. And let's assume that this pastor is the most eloquent speaker you have ever, ever, ever heard. I'm talking never looks at a note, can go into the depth of depth of depth, is humorous and also appeals to the heart. I mean the total deal, the whole package in one person. And that person, what would you do when you'd leave church hearing that person? Oh my, he was the so-and-so. Maybe you're in a place, a class, whatever. Oh, she is the most unbelievable. I've never, it's just amazing just to sit on them. You would just be wowed by them. But what if that person not only was that kind of communicator and orator, with that depth of insight into the Word, let's assume that they had unusual power in this sense. They could, they could absolutely just sense what was going on in your world. In fact, from time to time could say to you, by the way, God told me this about you. And it's something that you have hidden from every person. You've never spoken to anybody. No one could ever know except God must have spoken to you. And now you, you'd be, wow, amazing. But what if beyond that, this person had such faith, they could pray, believing God for things, could walk out on the ledge in such a way and just trust God and you watch them in faith like you have never seen before and you say whatever this person prays for it just seems like it happens the faith they have is absolutely incredible and what if this same person this same person just the most generous person you've ever met I mean would give anything they had in fact everything they had away to poor people they just say here you take it you take it you take it you take it and maybe at the same time would be the person that you know this person would give their life just like that they'd be martyred in a second and you know that there's no doubt in your mind now what would you think about that person I mean would you not just be so enamored you just say, this person is incredible. I want you to now hear what Paul says. We're going to look, first of all, the priority of love, verses 1 through 3. And I want you to look at number one verse, which is love versus the ability to communicate. So he's going to first say, let's, let's take this love and let's, let's just put it up against your ability to communicate. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. He says, All, I'm as good as a noisemaker, if I can even do that, but have no love. He's now going to compare love against spiritual power. He'll do that in verse 2. He says this, if I have the gift of prophecy, that is, God 
giving us promptings of which we put our own human words to that promptings, call that a prophecy. Know all mysteries. Mysteries refer to the depth of the understanding of redemption. They can just dig right in and see things that no one else seems to see in the Word of God. And all knowledge, probably referring to a word of knowledge, the word of knowledge where God prompts, gives you things you speak, and then you say, this is what God said, and you pass it on. A word of knowledge. If I have faith, even so as to remove mountains, now we know that's figurative, but to remove a mountain is saying these would be doing things, you have faith to do things that are seemingly that impossible. That's the type of things that you can do. Even if you can do that, but do not have love, I am nothing. He comes to number three and he compares love to discipline of the deep, deep commitments. And he says this in verse three, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, that would be martyrdom, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Which you know what that says? Hear this, it's possible to do all of those things and not have love. You could do all of those things, call them the fruit or call them the gifts of the Spirit, but not have the fruit of the Spirit. Can I say this? Don't ever trust any leader, myself or any other, beyond what's appropriate to do. In this regard, don't ever put anybody on a pedestal to say, oh, they've got to be God's person because look how they're being used. That is not true. People can be amazing. They have been through history, found out not even to be believers, later to give their story. I did all of these things. This is what God did through me. Never even a believer. He's saying what is counts is love. And that's why, folks, if we get out of here in two weeks and we don't understand love, let me tell you, we have failed it all. It won't matter. So we really want to get this one well. In order to be able to do that, I'm going to use something very repetitious to many of you, but uh, it doesn't bother me at all because I'm a big believer in repetition. The more you hear something, the more you know it, understand it, the better you can give it away. But if you're new with us, I think this will really put a lot together for you here, and I think it fits well where we are. I put a box here, and I'm going to put God in that box, and I'm referring to anybody who believes in God, this is going to apply. If you're a theist, meaning you're a God believer, may not be a Christian, but you're a theist. If you're a Christian, it doesn't matter, but if you're a theist, then you want to relate rightly to God. In other words, you want Him to like you a lot when you die, right? So, we got to somehow deal with that, and we can do it in one of two ways. Because I'm going to put up two boxes here. The first, I'm going to put the word performance. Performance. And so if we're going to perform for God, I'm going to put the line from what we do here to God, what we do for Him or because of Him, and I'm going to call this religion the religion of do. It does create a righteousness in us. This is important. Everything that Paul is saying, if I can do this and this and this and this, those are pretty righteous things. But if that's all you have, it is nothing. And so that can be in this box of performance. It creates what I'm going to call a dash righteousness because it's a particular type of righteousness and it is a self-made righteousness. 
We call these people self-righteous. We say we don't like self-righteous people, but really we do. What we don't like are arrogant self-righteous people. We don't like haughty self-righteous people. But let me tell you, our lives are filled with people that we enjoy and love much who became righteous, good people in their own willpower and their desire and sense of this is the kind of person I want to be. And they do the right thing, they're righteous in that sense. Now, the story I tell, I'm not going to go into it at all, but but the story I tell to explain this is the person who promises his wife that he's going to take this this particular Saturday devoted all to her and promises I'll never, you know, nothing will come up. And then a golf opportunity, Augusta National, first and only chance in a lifetime comes up that day. And he's trying to get out of it. How do I do this? I promised her. I said, nothing will come in, buys her flowers and necklace and gives it to her. And she's all excited about it. And just, I can't believe my husband's done this. And then finally he says, okay, let me tell you, there's something I like too. And mentions about golf and Saturday and so forth. And she realizes that this has all been to kind of butter her up so that she would be willing to let him off the hook. And now that those flowers, they're thrown in the trash, the, the necklace is broken off the neck, thrown with disgust and say, you repulse me. And it's not because she stopped lighting, liking flowers or she stopped liking necklaces. It's because she saw the motive behind the action right here. That is what we're talking about. All of this stuff that Paul has mentioned, it fits in that category. It can fit in that category. And maybe it doesn't fit in this category, but it's good stuff. Here's how that happens. It's because we've entered into this realm called of grace. Grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Therefore, the line goes from God to us. This is the this is the religion of done. It's what he has done for us. It creates dash righteousness, a particular righteousness, but this happens to be Christ's righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's in this very book that, uh, in the, the, written to the Corinthian church from Paul. So this is this thing where God takes his love and pours it into us. So now we have this incredible ability to love. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to read Romans 5, 5. It'll talk about the love of God being poured into our lives. This is where that happens right here. This is when a person becomes a real Christian. I say, well, that when you just walk the aisle, you pray a prayer. Well, it may include those things, but no. It has to do with this particular box here that's so critically important called love. And we read in the, just a few chapters in chapter 5, a few chapters before we're in now 13, And it says it's Christ's love for us that compels us to perform. That's how it happens. So if it starts here and it comes through what he's done, through a love that he has put in us that we now give to him through these things, that's a whole different deal. So, man, you put the fruit of the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit Now you got something really good. But you have to always go back to this idea, is this really the love of God? Is it the love for other people that is agape love? It is the only way we can love God or people in a way that's not self-righteous. That's the best way I can put it. Now, we look now at uh, at the description of love. Four through seven gives us a description. Here's how it reads. 
Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, that's a, a pretty weighty list. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to very slowly read each one. You think about it. Some of them I won't make any comment. A few I'll make just a little tiny comment. And then I want to assure you that we might well then, even then, misinterpret what he's saying here. Here's how it goes. Patient. That means enduring suffering. By the way, that word has to do with people, not circumstances. It's not that we can endure bad circumstances. We endure bad people. Kind. It's an unfailing courtesy. Is not jealous, not spiteful because of what others have that we want. Does not brag, meaning does not boast. It's not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. In other words, looks for other people's viewpoints. Considers others even more important than themselves. Is not provoked. Not not irritable, resentful people. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Sees nothing is hopeless. Endures all things. Never gets up on people. Now, as you read that, you've got to read that in the context of understanding what love is. We're going to go into that in great depth next week. But love, keep this in mind, ultimately love is giving people what they need. You've got to hear that. Because that's going to have you look at some of these descriptive words a little differently in this regard. What he is doing is saying, given just the understanding of love, this is what love would be. Are there conditions and situations where the best way for you to love is maybe not to appear that you are doing these things? For instance, let's take the issue of, of um, believes all things. So a chronic liar comes up to you. They lie, 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 lie. Everything's a lie. Are you as a Christian supposed to say, I need to love you, therefore I'll believe whatever you say? You know better than that. You wouldn't do that. That's not what they need. For you to believe what you know to be a lie? No. They need for you to stand up and say, not true, if that be the case. You can look through each of these, and, and there are conditions like that. I won't go through them, but where you go, whoa, 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 understand this. You've got to view it in light of giving people what they need. Now, that becomes hard sometimes. That's why we need counsel in many places. What do I do in this situation? Because the real issue is finding out what that person needs and doing for them. Which, by the way, interestingly enough, if you're doing what they need, it will be what you need. God's not going to put us in a situation where, okay, what, God, what I really need is one thing, and what they need is something else. No. And so at the very end, I'm going to make this real clear to you. You and I can never... Never allow someone 
to determine whether we love them or not. Because if it's giving people what they need, a lot of people don't want what they need. They want what they want. And when you don't give it, they say, you're not loving me. And we have to be able to say, no, what I am doing is loving you. Now, next week, we're going to pick up with the permanence of love. I'll read it for you just to kind of let you see where we're going. You can see why it's a challenging text. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now to close our time, I want to hit the first of three. Um, basically showing differences between authentic and inauthentic love. So let's just hit the very first one, as you see in your outline. The first one is this. Inauthentic love is a natural emotion, while authentic love is a supernatural fruit. I don't know any way to write that that was really accurate. All I can do is explain. Please put an asterisk by this. If you read that and you think that anything that has emotion is inauthentic, that is not what I'm saying. Emotions are good. We want emotions and good emotions. Emotions can be good. Emotions can be bad. They can be damaging. They can be the blessing of life. But we have to keep it what it really is by its nature, love, inauthentic love, meaning the erotic love, the filio love, and so forth. Uh, it's a natural emotion. It doesn't mean that it's all bad, but that's, what it, that's where it begins and that's where it ends. While authentic love is a supernatural fruit, that is the critical important thing to know. Do you know that I read a survey, it's been a while back, the survey, but 40% of people interviewed said that they believe that love was something that takes place at first sight. 30% more said things that can happen at first sight which says the majority of people are probably thinking, yeah, it's something that does happen because they're thinking about the world's type of love, which is certainly a feeling-oriented love. And it's, again, it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. One person said, love is getting weak knees when someone walks into the room and smiles at you, and then constant depression when they leave. <laughs> maybe they... Maybe they're weak knees because of what their husband did and to you. Uh, maybe it's depression because of what they did. You know, but, but I don't think many people who've been married a long, long, long time say that describes, let me put it this way. <laughs> I have, I've been married 42 years, so has Carol. <laughs> and let me tell you, I think we both agree, we both agree that we love each other more now than we did when we first got married. I really think that's true. We understand love better, this, that, and the other. Don't ask her whether that's true or not, okay? But that's, that's my story, all right? We love each other more. I'll guarantee you, last time I walked in the room with her, her knees did not get weak. 
When I left, there was no depression at all. And, and, and you that are happily married, are, I'm sure would say the same thing. That's not the way we view love. It is not the way to view love. We cannot love God without the Spirit of God. We cannot love people without the Spirit of God. The love we're talking about here is so unconditional that he applies it to spouse, he applies it to enemies. It's the same, love your enemy. Therefore, it can't be emotion. Maybe it turns into an emotion, a positive emotion. But we may love in the midst of the most negative emotion. We've got to clean up this whole idea of thinking it's all emotive. It's all, no, it is more than that, which we will see next week. I say this, to get into next week, I, I, I want to just cover this very for sure, and that is, if you as a Christian are saying, I cannot love somebody, I cannot love somebody, that is a lie. It is not true. And as long as you think that, you're going to be like the basketball player who has the free throw that has to be made for the game to win. If you walk up to the line and you say, I can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it, and you shoot it, you will not make it. But I tell you this, if you go up to that line and you say, I can make this, and you just say, I can make this, I can make this, there is a good chance you can make it then, but you're not going to do it otherwise. And there are Christians who are saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. No, as Christians, we have to say either I won't or I don't know how. I just don't know how to love. Very important to know that. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the motive of love. We're going to talk about the measure of love. Um, we'll see there why some of us will have to say, hmm, I guess I love God more than I rated myself as a lover of God. We'll see if that happens. But my last thing is to give you three words. These are my words of counsel. If you would like to start loving someone that you dislike, the first word is the word admit. You have to admit that you cannot in your own power love. It's a God thing. It's a fruit of God's spirit. And if it becomes a fruit of my willpower, it's going to have its limits. And eventually we can no longer do it. It has to be with the fullness of God's spirit. Can't do it in our strength. So number two, appropriate. You've got to appropriate the power of God's spirit. If you're as a Christian, and first of all, I'll say if you, as, a, as a seeker here, you, you wouldn't know how to appropriate God's spirit. I understand that. You've got to first of all have God's spirit in you, which is what happens at salvation. You go to the cross, you see his love, and, 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 and your heart turns in love with him. And he pours his love into you so that you can in turn love him and love other people. So it starts with, with just being what's called baptized with the Spirit. You've got to have his Spirit just a part of your life. That's what happens at salvation. But then you've got to learn to appropriate the power of the Spirit. And if you as a Christian now say, I don't know when the last time I consciously appropriated the Spirit of God. I don't know that I would even know what to do to really appropriate outside say a little prayer, God fill me with your spirit, which is not the way to get filled with the spirit, just saying that prayer. 
If you don't know that, then I say, gosh, you're just kind of handcuffed in life, walking through saying, the most important thing is love, but I can't love. You, you got to know how to appropriate the power of the Spirit. I can't teach that now, but I've pulled it down to about 17 minutes. And if you go on perimeter.org slash Pope, you can actually hear the teaching of what I think God's Word says about how to appropriate the power of God's Spirit. Third word I would give you is the word commit. This is where we make a commitment in light of God's power within us to say, Lord, you'll have to do it through me, but I'm going to commit to find what this person needs and give that to them. Whether they want it or they don't want it, I got to give them what they need. That's when we have loved at that point. A lot more to be said next week, for sure. So we'll wait on that at that time. My prayer is that God might enable you and me to take this thing, love, and put it where Paul says, it's the greatest of all things in our life. Get to understand it, get to know it, experience it, and let others experience through you. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant us to be able to do just that. And so now we admit that we can't. Some of us as seekers are saying, I know I can't, I'm, I'm not even yours. And I pray you would show them your love by the cross of Calvary. I might see that if you would give your son for them, how would you not give everything needed? For us as Christians, may we do the same thing. Keep looking at the cross, reminded of your love, and may we appropriate now your spirit as we ask that you would help us to remember what's true of our soul, what you've done in our lives, and to bend the knee before you and surrender everything to you and watch your power. Father, show us in detail how can we meet needs of people that are among those we'll be in touch with. Let us be a people of love, uh, not out of our own power, but yours. We ask this all in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.